Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags nonprofitutopia, doing good better, and awesomer fundraising. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofitutopia. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, however, you must open a listener account. And not to worry, you'll find a link to open the account on the episode page. And it's right underneath that little button, and you will set up an account immediately. You can also email me questions at ValerieFLeonard at nonprofitutopia.com. But, you know, just know that I probably won't be able to answer your questions while on air, at least not through email. You can feel free to call us, but um, obviously I will be otherwise engaged. But if you send us an email, I will be sure to respond as soon as I can. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is area code 347-884-8121. Again, that number is area code 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community, and we've included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. So your human service nonprofit exists to make a positive impact in the lives of people you serve, but how do you get there, especially in this current environment? Today's topic is making fundraising awesomer. We'll talk about how to make your organization's case for support, how to develop effective fundraising strategies and capital campaigns, how to assess your organization's readiness for fundraising and capital campaigns, and some of the common mistakes nonprofits make along their fundraising journeys. So I want to introduce you to our guest today. We have with us Patrick Kirby. He's the founder of Do Good Better Consulting, and he's a firm believer that we've always done it this way it are the most dangerous words in the English language. Patrick has spent over a decade working in nearly every capacity in the nonprofit industry for organizations of all shapes and sizes and strives to do good better every day, from organizing $10,000 cure walks to $1 million galas. Patrick's passion lies in creating creative solutions to make fundraising less boring. He cut his donor relations and fundraising teeth as the alumni coordinator at the Academy of Holy Angels in Richville, Minnesota, before trying his hand as a manufacturing sales rep to companies such as Target and Best Buy. Tired of being yelled at for uncontrollable international shipping issues in both English and Chinese, Patrick rejoined the world of nonprofit work as the Senior Development Director 
at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation in the Minnesota and Dakota's chapter before taking the chief development officer position at the Ann Carlson Center. He earned his BA in BS politics at Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa, and is hopelessly addicted to super nerdy sci-fi fantasy novels and old school Squaresoft RPG Nintendo games. Patrick married out of his league to his current wife. I'm sorry, I Patrick, I'm sorry for saying current wife. That wasn't part of your resume. I don't want to start anything. Bad Valley. Let me read that sentence over. Patrick married out of his league to his wife, Shannon, and has three ridiculously adorable children named Spencer, Preston, and Willow, a chunky dog named Grover, and lives in West Fargo, North Dakota. He is also set to release his first book, Fundraise Awesomer, a practical guide to staying sane while doing good this summer. Again, Patrick, I am so, so sorry. I love for it. That. That's me. the best ever. Best ever. <laughs> Ooh, okay, awesome. So thank you so much for being with us today. And, and before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your business? Do Good Better Consulting, and how you came to start it. Sure. I um, First of all, thanks for having me. This is going to be an absolute blast. The last time we talked, uh, doing a little guest expert training, I think I had way more fun than I was supposed to. So this is <laughs> – I, uh, I expect it's going to be more of the same with you. Um, so Do Good Better Consulting, we're a firm up here in Fargo, and um, – work with small and, and medium-sized nonprofits to help them raise more money, have more fun, take the confusion and the overwhelmingness of fundraising um, out of their worries and, and just make them awesome. And it's been a, it's been a blast and doing it for almost two years and uh, really kind of mm-hmm. got started after um, I was the, uh, the chief development officer at the Ann Carlson center. I started doing, had a little coaching sessions with smaller nonprofits for one of our regional giving days. And I loved the idea of the aha moment with one of the smaller mm-hmm. nonprofits. They finally get it or they, they finally uh, uh, have that, oh, now that makes sense moments. And I spent, mm-hmm. I don't know, probably a year and a half jotting down notes on cocktail napkins and filling pages of notebooks with what would this look like? as an actual business. Um, mm-hmm. And of course I did the smart thing, which was have a child and then quit my job and start this. So that's <laughs> that was the most intelligent uh, thing ever, but it's been a wild ride ever since. Uh, we've been just rocking and rolling since day one. And uh, I wake up every day, get to have that, uh, who do I get to help today uh, mentality. And it's, uh, it's been mm-hmm. a blast. Oh, awesome, awesome. So what are some of the services that you provide? Um, let's see, everything from, from therapy. I know that's kind of sounds <laughs> funny, but there, sometimes, sometimes a nonprofit <laughs> just wants to hear that they're doing okay. I think that's, that I has the majority of, <laughs> right. And we, don't, uh, we don't take time to appreciate some of our successes and, and, and sometimes it's just overwhelming, right? There's always 
another dollar to raise. There's always another event to do. And um, sometimes that's a little overwhelming when you almost have the financial weight of the organization on your shoulder and, and, mm-hmm. and you just you lose a little bit of perspective of if you're doing okay. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And, and then really it's building fundraising plans, it's brainstorming, it's helping execute, it's uh, having an accountability buddy that's uh, next mm-hmm. to you to say, you can do this, we've got this, um, and giving them as many tools as they need, uh, depending on what they're, what they're looking for. Um, and that can be all. I really, I started off this business. It's kind of crazy with a, a computer and a business card, and that's it. Like I, I'd, I'd <laughs> done this for for years, but I didn't know what people wanted because it was so unique. Mm-hmm. And I found that really uh, individualizing a lot of um, strategic plans or um, pieces of information are way better to execute than they are on uh, mm-hmm. sort of these generalized pieces. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so basically if I were a client and I work with you, I would, what, I would have a meeting with you and then come up with a plan and, you know, let me get outside your head. You, you do the business. Can you just give yeah. us an, an example of what it It often starts with a, uh, we're in a rut we had some changes, mm-hmm. don't know where to go. We're looking for some new direction. We're looking for something else. Um, we need some help. And they usually mm-hmm. start off with, we don't really know what we want or need. So help us with that, first of all. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of, you, you can read a million books about 101 fundraising. You can read blog posts and things. But to have them tell you or you know, to tell somebody, like, do these three things, and have them empowered mm-hmm. because they did it and they did it well, that really then takes it to, you know, uh, we can develop a plan out of that. So it usually starts casual conversation, coffee, video mm-hmm. chat, uh, phone call. And I usually ask the question, well, wh- where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And then we'll build it from there. Okay, awesome, awesome. And notice I, I keep using the word awesome, awesome. We're trying to make fundraising awesomer. It does. Oh man, I can't wait. And that's and that's I want people to know that fundraising is fun. It's it it's rewarding. You feel good about it. Um we sometimes forget that. You know, it's that we're in the business of of a nonprofit business. So sometimes the uh the joy of what you're actually doing is sometimes lost in that day-to-day grind. And I just mm-hmm. want to make sure that everybody knows that they're doing great. They're, they're doing amazing work. They're crushing it. They're having great relationships. They're developing some really great ties. And to give them perspective on that, I think, is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So how would you describe the current funding environment on a national level? And, you know, I, I realize people are calling in from, from all over. So, you know, if you can be general mm-hmm. and then – if you can also tell us, you know, what some of the trends we should be aware of that could impact sure. our ability to, to raise funds. Wow, that's a really good question. I, um, I think like most people, and I, there's been a number of articles in Chronicle Philanthropy and, and, and some research done out of the, the Lilly School of Fundraising, is that the general rule is there seems to be fewer donors but more money being raised. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you may see an uptick in revenue at your organization, but the amount of donors seems to be always dwindling. Seems to be mm-hmm. like just a general national trend. And really there's a gap in those small and medium-sized donors. They seem to be just falling off more rapidly than one really wants to see. And I think that's the trend that we need to have a conversation about, um, really mm-hmm. figure out what's going on and stop it. Because I, I really do right. think that that's probably a, your best Avenue for larger gifts down the road is sort of cultivating these small gifts into really your, your big cheerleaders. But if mm-hmm. you're losing more donors than you're gaining and you're relying on these large grants that might disappear or a donor who might die or a donor who might be upset with something that you do and all of a sudden they leave and their money goes, that's a big red flag. (laughs) So I just, I feel like a lot of organizations are relying on a lot of single big gifts and not Mm -hmm. taking the time to develop these large um, swaths of new donors and new names to come in so they can kind of prep. So that's the main, that's the main trend. And then mm-hmm. a lot of donors who are being very, uh, I don't, I don't want to say selfish, but <laughs> they're being allowed mm-hmm. to tell the organization what to do and what to spend it on. And organizations mm-hmm. are in positions where they have to say, okay. And I'm <laughs> finding that it is really, it's really sort of this, you're put in a very precarious position if you don't have funds you can use for anything. Like the non-restrictive mm-hmm. funds are critical, and yet they seem to be drying up in favor of specific programs that donors like. And I'm not saying that donors should have the, uh, you know, shouldn't have a say, but I think mm-hmm. we as organizations and nonprofits need to have more critical conversations with big donors about the need mm-hmm. for non-restrictive gifts. Yeah, we are very fortunate here in Illinois. You're in North Dakota, right? Fargo, North you Dakota. You know it. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> and for us, you know, we're very fortunate we have an organization called Forefront, and Forefront is mm-hmm. an association of all the major funders and increasingly all the major nonprofits in Illinois. So they have a pretty strong voice on both ends of the spectrum, and they have been advocating for, I would say, about at least five years to uh, put pressure on some of their members to to look you know, at the total um, organization, right. look at their funding, look at overhead as a necessary evil, for lack of a better word, and I'm putting words in their mouth, they never said evil, (laughs) but your your overhead is necessary in order to actually produce the the results that you want to achieve through the programs. You you can't have effective programs without having this infrastructure that will support it. So they are urging their members to, you know, to fund organizations and let the organizations decide. Now, mind you, you know, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of work to be done, but, you know, they're making significant inroads, and they're very fortunate because, you know, their members, half their members are foundations, and they also, sure. you know, network with other 
associations, you know, across the country. Now, if if that's some, you know, some movement that you would like to spark over your neck of the woods, I'd be more than happy, you know, in contact with with the folks there. You guys can have a, you know, conversation, you know, after we get off the phone. Heck, yes. And I think that's okay. that's such a wonderful starting point, too. And I think, um, you know, even some of the larger universities and the college systems that, um, you know, may have one or two large donors. One of our largest uh, universities up here um, has, is having a, a terrible fallout from a donor who's publicly uh, not happy and um, not really threatening, but kind of threatening some donations if things don't change. And Wow. They're, they're, frankly, they've got nothing else. They can't do anything about it. So th- there's there's some really troublesome spots I think an organization can get into if you don't have a strong individual donor base that mm-hmm. really believes in your mission and sees the impact. Um, mm-hmm. I also, and there, again, there's another couple of uh, studies that, that really talk about how that your lack of donors or your dwindling amount of donors really lessens your impact for social change too. So for example, mm-hmm. if you have an organization that is really dedicated to, uh, let's say fo- affordable housing. And for the sake of argument, we have like a hundred donors and we're passing bills okay. and we're getting in front of groups and organizations. And all of a sudden our, our donors dwindle. Well, that means our cheerleaders dwindle, which means, the public perception of our um, momentum changes. And now if you get 50 donors or 50 members that are cheerleading instead of 100, well, that means half of the, you know, your, your momentum is now cut in half. And now mm-hmm. your power to command an audience or command some attention, either civically or um, even at the politics level, dwindles as well. And I think there's a, I think there's a, legitimate correlation between those two and it would be interesting to Mm -hmm. see you know the more donors you have the more momentum you're building and all of a sudden people are paying attention to you too so Mm -hmm. it's a very good way to look at it i hadn't quite looked at it that way but that that really makes you think even harder about your donor base right 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 Okay, I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, and we're speaking with Patrick Kirby, the founder of Do Good Better Consulting. We'll take questions from our listening audience in the chat room at about the 30-minute mark. Our call-in number is 347-848121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. And on another note, we've noticed that our international audience is growing, and we would like our podcast guests to reflect the views from around the world. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we ought to be talking to and have as guests on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. So Patrick, Let's talk about making the case for support for just a minute. Can you tell us Ooh, yeah. what a case for, <laughs> Yeah, tell us what a case for support is because that means different things to different people mm-hmm. and how organizations can get start either developing one or improving the one that they have. Sure. 
I think the the first thing when at least when I'm talking about case supports is really pointing out the difference between a mission statement and your case of support. I think there's some organizations that mm-hmm. think they're probably the same thing and they are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and they're not supposed to be. And, you know, that mission statement is for a board of direct to sort of shape the direction of your organization by, you know, whatever manner that they are in, they're involved in. You know, the case of support, I've always dumbed it down to an idea of why the hell should I give you money? And if you can answer <laughs> that with a great um, reason behind it, that's your case of support. And I think <laughs> a lot of organizations spend way too much time trying to even perfect it when they mm-hmm. should be talking about how passionately they're talking, you know, they're, they're asking um, for that support, right? So what are you, what are you hinting at that needs to be accomplished? What impact are you going to make? How wonderful are the things that you're doing and why do you need money? And if you can convince somebody or convey that passion about how, you know, you're really, um, you're really going to change the world or change the community that you live in, that's a great case of support. And I think that's Mm -hmm. really a challenge to a lot of smaller organizations who don't think that they have the verbal power in the communities against some of these larger organizations. And they do, they're swifter, they're, um, they're, they're quick uh, to, to maybe change direction. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that depends on each individual who you're talking with as well. Right. So sometimes Mm -hmm. we get so, bogged down in this is our case of support and it never changes and they don't think about audience they're trying to convey that case of support to or that reasoning why they should open up their wallet um, based on Mm -hmm. who they're speaking with and I think that's another thing that people should really keep an eye out for when they're building this. Okay great so who within the organization should be involved in developing the case for support? You know, I'm always in favor of fewer the better. And I don't mean that to (laughs) want to exclude people, but the old too many cooks in the kitchen bit (laughs) very much applies here. And because, again, the ones who are on the front lines and who have conversations with donors and maybe volunteers Mm -hmm. on a regular basis really know what the heart of your organization is and what people love about it and why they continue Mm -hmm. to support it. And I think if you bring too many people in for their opinions, that's when we talk about the, well, I think you should maybe use a the here instead of an and or an (laughs) or, and maybe we should use like, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, (laughs) Once you have your, your case down from, you know, the very small group of leadership um, individuals who can maybe, you know, your best storytellers, your most passionate individuals, craft it, test it, rework and go. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and this, this makes me sort of heretical in the, uh, in the nonprofit industries. I really do think that the messenger is more important than the message in most cases, right? So Mm -hmm. your, your frontline, storytellers are who these donors are giving to, not necessarily the mission as a whole. And if you have a wonderful mission, but you've got a 
just a lump of a of a human being spreading that word. <laughs> well, I guess it's fine. This, this is what we do. I guess we have. You know, it sounds like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Um, I, you do yourself a right, you do yourself a disservice rather than having an enthusiastic. Um, you know, really well-spoken individual talking about impact and why that matters mm-hmm. to the community. And so, the, you know, a lot of organizations who get in this rut of perpetual planning um, are really stuck on some of this, and they can't get, they can't break through and do something about it because, well, it's not perfect yet. And I, I think some of that mm-hmm. is really because they're so concerned on getting the message wrong uh, or not perfect that they mm-hmm. are just, they just can't move. I mean, I'm sure you see this all the time, especially in, 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 with certain segments of the fundraising population. They just, boy, everything needs to be verbally perfect. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So at what point do the people who actually do the programs come into developing, you know, the case for support. Do you see a role for them? Oh yeah. I I think they're they're the first line of testing for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you need to you need to know what your organization does and and you need to lean mm-hmm. on them for, you know, what you're actually funding. I think I think you have to get really specific in most cases. Like my $100 will do what? Right? So what in your program will a hundred dollars fund? I, I usually ask this question as I'm kind of testing out um, what an organization's capacity is for sort of fundraising. And I'll usually say, I have a thousand dollars. Why should I give it to you? And the stunned <laughs> look on their face usually is, well, because we do great things. I go, fantastic. So does the United Way. So does this United, this university. So does the Boy Scouts. So does the little girl selling cookies. I'll buy a thousand dollars worth of pizza. They're doing good. But what is your organization going to do with it? And I think if you know from your program folks or you know from your boots on the ground actually doing the the real good program stuff and you know what a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars is going to do for that particular program, you're in a real good position to build a case of support. And they should be the first ones to say, no, that's legit. I would do that. I mm-hmm. would, and if they can sell it, then I think you're even better because they're the ones who are meeting with the with, with everybody as a development director, as a fundraiser. You you get to talk with the business owners or whatever. Your program people are the ones talking uh, very close to the most people and who are really mm-hmm. dedicated to your organization, and they have to have total buy-in. And listening mm-hmm. to them um, is is really critical. Now. Some of them are not wordsmiths, and that's fine. Uh, but once mm-hmm. you have an agreeable sort of version of it, they can. I think they can have some. Um, you can give them some leeway to tell a story on how it relates to their program, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the trust in your employees is super important in that case. Okay, awesome. And and then I guess the last question on this particular subject. What would you say would be the pros and cons, well, not pros and cons, some of the do's and don'ts around building a strong case of support? Do have one. (laughs) Don't (laughs) let perfection get in the way. Yeah, (laughs) do it. 
but don't it's let a, perfection get in the way of you having a conversation with donors or potential supporters. Um, if it's not picture perfect, it's okay. If it needs tweaking throughout the, the course of a campaign or a year, it's okay. Um, I, I think of, you know, if you build this case of support and it takes you four days to kind of craft out perfection, and all of a sudden you get a donor who writes you one check and didn't even get to hear that case of support, how many opportunities <laughs> did you miss by having conversations with your potential supporters you can get another $100,000 to build the program? And, and I think the hesitation of having conversations without perfected material is the key to unlocking a lot of fundraising successes at organizations who seem to get stuck. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's a great segue to the next question, you know, speaking of mm. stuck. So, <laughs> I like it. So how do, you, how do you go from actually developing this wonderful case of support to actually doing it? You know, the implementation mm. can be very challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I really like – I like organizations who um, who maybe don't have a, a former fundraising plan or they don't have a plan in place because they're not stuck to mm -hmm. it. They're not tied to that, that, that old piece of paper that you, you dust off um, after you do your strategic <laughs> plan, and then you put that whole strategic plan on a bookshelf and you don't look at it until the next time that you do a strategic plan like those. Right. Well, we did, we did this already here. <laughs> um, I think it is keeping it simple as your strategy and then um, assessing your organization's capacity to, to, to do things. Right. So if you mm -hmm. have a, a 10 person shop and you've got, five development directors, three back-end specialists, two marketing folks, and like a, a chief development officer, you guys can do some serious damage real quickly. The, the problem is a, mm -hmm. a shop of that size are really bogged down in probably red tape and trying to organize themselves. And so that requires a different strategy or a plan than some of the smaller organizations who can say, all right, I can't control, and this is how I would even pitch this, would be you can't control the amount of money people donate to you, nor can you uh, control when they give it to you right? in general. But you can control how many times you're out in the field telling your story, making an ask, making friends, um, talking about your organization, talking about impact. And so it really becomes kind of a salesman, saleswoman kind of thing where the more times you're making an ask, the more likely you'll be able to get money in, and it's a numbers game. And I know that sounds really mm -hmm. boring and sort of uh, mathematical, but it's a numbers game. How many people can you tell your story to? The more, the better, because somebody in that room is going to make a deep connection to your impact. Mm -hmm. And so it, the, I would say from planning to doing – is keeping it in perspective of how much time you have, how much staff mm -hmm. you have, how many, how many opportunities you may have right out of the gate, and don't overwhelm yourself with having to do everything, right? Don't, if you're a small organization that's just kind of ramping up, don't worry mm -hmm. about building a legacy plan, right? 
quote, you don't need to <laughs> worry about wills and trusts and bequests yet, right? <laughs> you need to get out of the door and just have a meeting, for, have one coffee meeting first, and then we'll talk about uh, building a will, right? So um, doing it and not being afraid to not know the answer sometimes, I think that's a really good point where if you don't know, it's okay to say, I'm not really sure about that. Let me get back to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have this case of support and somebody asks you, well, what's, how many children will you impact with this organization in the next 38 days? That's a really specific <laughs> question, but I don't know the answer to that. And it's okay to say, I don't know for two reasons. One, you don't want to give them false information, but number yeah. two, it allows you to have another talking point or a touch point with that potential donor, right? You can go back to them and say, I don't know, is it okay if I do some research and get back to you? And they'll probably say yes, and all of a sudden you have permission to call and meet with them again, boom, right? So (laughs) not knowing is okay, but not Mm -hmm. doing is not okay because you don't get them the opportunity to practice, to really build momentum, to, you know, to keep rocking and rolling. I mean, that's really an important uh, piece to that. So, um, it's just closing your eyes and doing it. That's, that's, you just got to do it. Dang it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And before we go and ask people if they have questions, um, I, I just want to backtrack. You mentioned something about, you know, making sure that you're constantly assessing your capacity to actually, mm-hmm. I, I guess, make the impact or, you know, meet your mission. So what are some yeah. of the ways that people can actually, you know, do their own assessments, you know, at home, or should they call you and you can help them out with that kind of thing? What What do you mean? I It's always good to get perspective. So whether it's me or someone like you or even another organizational leader, somebody to kind of mm-hmm. give some perspective that's outside of your organization, I think is critical. Right. Even Mm -hmm. if it's a 15 minute chat or a coffee meeting, somebody will inevitably give you some really good pointers and tips about what's working and what's not. Um, If you're internalizing kind of how you assess your your organization's readiness to fundraise um, or what your capacity to fundraise is, I I usually go Mm -hmm. with three general points. And if and this is I think any organization can take these three items and say, okay, are we rocking and rolling or are we just trying to get back to baseline, right? So the first Mm -hmm. would be how many new donors do you have coming in? How many donors are Mm -hmm. leaving your organization? And how many donors give twice or more in a year? If you know those three Mm -hmm. pieces, I can give you, I can guarantee you we can make a fundraising plan in 10 minutes. And, and, and the reason is simple, oh. right? So how many new donors do you have coming in? Are you telling your story to as many people as possible? And are they believing in what you're saying? Are they, they say your case is so strong, your impact is going to be so good that I'm going to either volunteer at your uh, event and I'm going to write you a check. I'm, I believe with my wallet that you're going to do great things. And if you have a ton more new donors. It doesn't matter how much, by the way. This is not a this is mm-hmm. not a contest to see who can get the most big donors. It's active donors. Uh, you're you're in great shape if you have lots coming in. 
The other one is how many donors are you bleeding every year, right? What's your retention mm-hmm. rate? And, mm-hmm. and so are you losing in chunks of donors? You need to figure out that real quick. So usually mm-hmm. it's one of a couple of things. One, are you saying thank you enough or at all? I remember, mm-hmm. I remember having a, a job where I spent an entire year doing an apology tour to donors. Because they, hadn't, wow. they, hadn't, they hadn't been thanked. Uh, they, hadn't been, uh, they hadn't had a touch point outside of maybe a newsletter for like two, three years. And you, I just spent the whole time like, I'm not here for asking you for money. I'm just here to say I'm sorry and love to get your story. That's it. A whole year, year and mm-hmm. a half. It was great. And it was one of the best things ever because you learn so much about why they gave and why they left mm-hmm. and why they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. And if you know that, um, and if you can stop that donor bleed, you're going to be in real good shape because now that retention and now you're gaining more than you're losing and you're on that upward slide. And then the third thing is how many donors give to you multiple times a year, right? So maybe it's an, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, an event and an end of year gift or uh, an two appeals. There are very few donors who care so much about an organization that they give multiple times. And those who give multiple times are your first individuals that you call when you're mm-hmm. talking about major gifts because they're the most loyal, right? They're the ones who right. are stick with you thick and thin, the ones who multiple year, multiple times a year donors. They're very interested in what you're doing and they're proving it by writing you a check or putting it on a credit card or showing up at an event and buying something. So those, if that's your, why are you giving so much? What's your story? And if you don't know that, it's a great avenue to give them a call, have a meeting, mm-hmm. learn a little bit about them. And really more importantly, those are the three kind of things. I mean, you can, new donors, how many are you losing and how many donors give to you multiple times a year? You can build a fundraising plan with those three, I think. Oh, that's awesome. And, putting on my performance management hat and mm-hmm. you know, listening to those three three points you, you made. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. We talk about doing report cards, we we, we talk about yeah. doing dashboards for those people yeah. who are interested in trying to measure the mm-hmm. impact of what it is they're doing. I I think you did an awesome job of giving us three metrics that we yeah. can use and put on our scorecard or yeah. our dashboard, so to speak, so we can measure mm-hmm. how um, impactful our fundraising efforts are. Right. So, so thank you. And for you don't that, need right? fifteen. Yeah, you don't need fifteen years of back the back history. If you have three years or two years of of records to show those, you're. I mean, mm-hmm. you're exponentially better than most organizations. So you can see a trend happen after three years, right? There's, there's going to be some mm-hmm. sort of info that you can garner from we're gaining 20% of donors every year. We're also losing 22% of donors every year. That's, a, that's an alarming stat, and how do you reverse that? Well, the easiest one, don't worry about new donors. You seem to be doing great. Work on mm-hmm. keeping your donors because we all, we've all seen the statistics of about how expensive it is to get a donor back rather than keeping them. And I think that's mm-hmm. uh, simple phone calls, uh, updates, those kind of things are meaningful. And I think that they're underrated because it takes some time 
and it takes effort and it's easier just to, you know, uh, you know, send out a mass email rather than picking up the phone. I get it. Or it's easier <laughs> to just post something on Facebook, but boy, it is a, it's a lot different if you can keep your donor satisfied and, and, and happy with their relationship with you. I think that's really mm-hmm. what this is. So. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Patrick. Okay, we're getting ready to open up for questions. I see that we have some people in the chat room, and we also have have a caller. Um, you know, the way our chat room works, you know, unless a guest actually um, uses his or her real name, you know, there is some sort of coding. So I don't really know um, the names of the people in the chat room now, but I do see one person that I know, and he's also a member of the nonprofit Utopia community, and his he's a consultant, and his name is very similar to yours. Okay, his name is J.P. Paulus, but the name of his consulting firm is Do-Gooder Consulting. So, J.P., if this you're guy's got good taste. listening. J.P., you've got good taste. <laughs> he does. That man and knows he, a, how to rock it. <laughs> he, he does. And I, I'm so blessed to have him, you know, as a friend and as a member of the nonprofit Utopia community. JP, if you have any questions, um, I, I know you're in the chat room. Feel free to post. And we have another guest. Um, feel free to post your questions as well. And then there is one person who's called in. I don't know if this person is calling in just so he or she can hear better or if this person may have, um, you know, have a question. But I am going to now give you an opportunity, um, guest. Your phone number is 312-282-2809. If you have any questions when I make your, your mic live, please feel free to share any questions or any comments that you might have, and then, you know, we'll... We'll talk about your question, and then we will move on. Okay, so I'm going to make your your mic live. Your your mic is live now. Do you have any questions? I, I, actually, this is JP. Um, so I was having some problems uh, signing in, so that's why I just you see some duplicates of me there. But uh, um, and then this is how I'm listening mm-hmm. to the, the conversation here. Yeah, but um, I guess uh, one uh, uh, also I just said in something too about uh, a third. Uh, do good consulting in Urbana, but um, my real question though is, um, uh, you mentioned about how, and, and I really uh, vibe with um, how uh, donors really give to specific people rather than an overall mission. And I was mm-hmm. wondering how you would advise, maybe just um, how you'd be able to sort of, I guess, um, manage that kind of communication where you have different maybe volunteers or leaders. Or even, um, let's say, if it's a, a, um, a student um, organization where, or an organization that uh, helps students, where you have some students that are really good in, uh, in terms of communicating um, and connecting with people, uh, sort of like how yeah. do you sort of, manage, like, sort of manage the conversation between them and uh, donors, and so that and it, so that you're also sort of in that loop as well. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of this. Uh, and JP, thanks for the question. And again, killer name because you know it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty great. 
Um, I think a lot of this comes down to organizational trust of their volunteers and the way that they communicate um, the message. And so really it's giving a, updating talking points, um, giving them um, insider baseball to some of the goals that you want to do. Like, hey, we want to raise this amount of money for a new uh, kennel at one of our local uh, shelters, and it's going to cost us a thousand dollars. And and so, uh, really bringing them into some of the trainings or some of the communications um, to help them have conversations about what they are very passionate about doing. Right. So there's nobody more passionate than a volunteer who comes in day in day out and helps your organization. I mean, they're in it to win it. So unleashing them with a little bit of direction and trusting that they mm-hmm. are um, uh, doing that is a hard, it's a hard thing from an organization, right? You don't want them to say something that's not true, but if you bring yeah. them into the fold and say, these are the things that we're really trying to talk about. Um, so feel free to communicate that or feel free to share on social media or uh, invite us out to a meeting that you have with some friends who might be interested, really get them invested in it. Um, I think uh-huh. that, that really becomes a really wonderful tool in your toolbox to help fundraise exponentially better um, by having those who just love you the most do some heavy lifting mm-hmm. for you in the, on the on the back end. Okay, great. And then I think just sort of building on that a little bit, I think something you just said that um, um, a lot of us might uh, might be helpful for us is that uh, we might uh, have volunteers who have some relationships, but they might feel nervous about um, yeah. at doing that specific ask, but the, yep. answer, the way you mentioned is, is that you help you have them just make simply make the connection and somebody else does yeah. the talking who you won't be scared about. Yeah, I'll, oh, I'm gonna this I'll, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of board members are like this too. I'm sure you've had this experience where, you know, you come into a board or maybe do some board training or maybe you're a, a nonprofit you know, executive director, and you're doing your best to get the best and brightest on your board. And then you try to get them to do some fundraising and they just shut down. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm sort of this believer that boards don't necessarily have to do fundraising, but they do have to give to the best of their ability, right? That's step number one. They have to buy in um, from whether that's 10 bucks or $10,000 or anything in between, that's fine. But they got to be door openers and they have to be champions of your organization. And if they're not going to be knocking down the doors or, you know, knocking up asks with you, they should be knocking down doors and saying, hey, would you consider having a cup of coffee with this organization that I'm really passionate about? And that's at a, at a bare minimum they can do that. And therefore, it's not, you know, they get out of the way and they just get to showcase. And it's as their friends say no, that's okay. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I think it's it, the expectation is they just have to help you move the needle forward. And that's really critical, I think, on all fronts. And mm-hmm. I'm, really, uh, I'm really excited when a board says, I'm going to take the lead here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to open up some doors, and you're going to come with me, and we're going to fight together with this. And, you know, the, the traditional way that at least I was taught by a couple of my mentors was a third of your board uh, are – you know, sort of your, your executive. So we're going to push these programs through and, and uh, from a technical standpoint, a third of them are fundraisers and a third of them are cheerleaders. 
And I think if you can get some sort of balance out of that, that'd be uh, just as great too. So. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. JP, did you have any yeah. other questions or, or comments? Um, I guess just sort of one other comment of, um, I think just sort of how I've seen, just what you were talking about sort of uh, coming to play is um, Exodus World Service is a uh, ministry for, or uh, they help out, um, help refugees. And they have this annual sure. fundraising mm-hmm. dinner do differently as opposed to the usual fundraiser dinners where you raise tickets is all they do. They actually have um, table hosts who are people who are invested mm-hmm. in, um, in the organization at some level and just, and they just have them ask them to invite friends. So not, not saying that they have to buy a ticket or, or even mm-hmm. that they have to donate or anything, but that they just bring in their friend. And uh, that, that's what um, um, a board member did with me. Um, and, you know, and he just came just, just to check it out and, we wound up then being a table host and, and helping out with that organization and, and sort of, uh, just yeah. really yeah. And what a unique okay. way to yeah, what a unique way to involve your friends like with a very small and soft ask. It's just hey, your time mm-hmm. to have a drink and dinner, right? I, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. You'd be going out for drinks and dinner on a Friday night. Just come with a whole host of other people and learn about this stuff and you won't get a hundred percent buy-in. And I don't think that's really the goal. It's just to make that connection like you did and you got, uh, you know, you bought in because you were invited. And I think a lot of nonprofits are scared to lean on their um, volunteers or donors because they think they quote, give too much already when really Mm -hmm. these donors are looking for other ways to help, but they're not being asked. And that, that goes right. back to our conversation earlier, which is you just got to do it, right? You, if you get told no, that's fine. But you're leaving some money on the table if you're not using your best and most uh, loyal folks, which are your multiple-year donors and your um, volunteers, and asking them to help you as well. Okay, that is awesome. And we've got about 10 minutes left. And we've got a lot of stuff we thought we were going to talk about that we may not get to. <laughs> but that's okay. That's why you're going to come back at some point. We can get get around to stuff that we don't cover Sold. today. But I, Sold. But I wanted to <laughs> – okay, good, good, good. I, I wanted to talk to uh, our audience a little bit about your book. Um, I don't know um, if you want to talk about your book or if you prefer to – talk about other things, but when I saw the title, Fundraise Awesome, or I was so inspired, you know, I named the whole segment <laughs> after, after, I saw, after the book. I was honored, and it was so good. I, it is, this is sort of a, um, uh, it's sort of super exciting. I mean, I've written for a couple of places, but I've never been um, an officially published uh, individual, and I'm, I'm super excited about it. It is a, um, it is a love letter to those small and mm-hmm. medium-sized nonprofits that just uh, want to know what to do next. And I think that's really mm-hmm. one of the things that I get asked all the time where they're just wondering, I just need some direction. I need some sort of path. And so I developed a, a framework, a five-day uh, fundraising framework, and then wrote a book about giving examples of what you can do every day to move the needle forward with your donors mm, and it. with your supporters. And so it is a, it's a, it's kind of an entry level um, uh, sort of concept that applies to 
anybody who is just looking for mm-hmm. a time management skill uh, or time management mm-hmm. enhancement. So uh, the idea is every day is a, is a different tact. So Mondays are for planning. Tuesdays are for doing. Wednesdays are for documenting. Thursdays are for celebrating. Fridays are for appreciating. And you do 20 minutes, 40 minutes, two hours, whatever it is, dedicated to those specific tacks, and uh, you're going to find yourself in a much better position to serve your donors better and keep yourself sane um, because you know exactly what you're going to do for at least a good portion of your day, right? I think a lot of development directors or fundraisers always get caught up in other duties as assigned, and this is a way to say, no, I can't because i got to do this. So, I mean, you spend your Monday a little bit of time planning your work week, right? Build a roadmap. What mm-hmm. do you need to get done? Um, and then Tuesday, get out of the office. I think, uh, I think we, are, we are programmed nowadays to try to fundraise from behind a computer screen. And this mm-hmm. teaches you and forces you out of the office. Go have a meeting. Make an ask. Make a volunteer mm-hmm. uh, connection. Do something. And then once you learn about your donor, you got to get that information into something, right? You don't want to forget mm-hmm. some invaluable nugget of information they dropped. And so document that. Get it in a spreadsheet, a piece of paper, um, a uh, whatever you do, a voice uh, recorder, whatever that is, document what you just learned so that the next time you meet with them, you can always reference back or frame a conversation. Um, and then Thursdays, we talked about this, we don't celebrate enough as as a nonprofit, so spend your Thursday a little bit of time celebrating wins. What programmatically did you just crush? Uh, what do you want to celebrate with your donors or volunteers or even staff members? And then Friday, wrap it up by just saying thank you. Thank you notes. Thank you calls. Thank you meeting. Um, end your work week with gratitude. I mean, always lead with it, but oh, end I it with it. gratitude too. It's just perfect because by the time on Monday rolls around where your donor opens up his mail and he's reading a thank you note for being an amazing supporter of your organization and you're already starting Mm -hmm. to plan your work week around trying to find donors to meet with and you get a call while he's or she is reading a a thank you note you wrote that's a lot easier ask to um, to make and say oh yeah I'd love to I just got your thank you note I'd love to meet up and catch up and and talk about what you're up to and then the cycle repeats, and you can have tangible success by just doing mm-hmm. small things every single week. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. It's going to be fun. It's irreverent at times, and it's, it kind of pulls the curtain back on, you know, all fundraising books don't have to be written by, you know, uh, Ivory Tower, Ivy League uh, uh, folks in, who use big words. Mm-hmm. And it's just for the small guys, the, you know, the, the sort of just mm-hmm. trying to get through your day book. And it's going to be super fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. Okay, awesome. And you definitely have to let me know when the book is done. Definitely. Oh, sounds you'll like, be one of the first like... pre-reads. I'll be getting <laughs> you a, an advanced copy. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you. I'm like, wow, this, this is so so necessary because, you know, like you said, you look at the book's on the market, and many of them are, you know, these ivory tower types, yeah. or they assume a certain level of experience and, and exposure, and you know, they're full yeah. of jargon. And mm-hmm. it sounds to me like your approach is going to be very, very practical until such time. Very as practical. Folks can 
And if anything has a, a, yeah. <laughs> and and I think if anything proved as an experiment, I sent it to a couple of publishers, and one of them came back, <clears throat> East Coast kind of uh, uh, group, and said, your uh, explanation of how to fundraise is too simple for a complicated subject like <laughs> fundraising. And I said, you missed the point. That's exactly what this is about. And and that to me says exactly what I wanted to hear, um, which is mm-hmm. we're gonna revel- we're gonna we're going to make fundraising simple and fun and easier than it has to be or that that's been because that gets more people involved. That makes it uh, a, a lot more people who can fundraise. That means a lot of people are going to want to donate and a lot of people who are just going to want to do awesome things and finally do it mm-hmm. uh, without burning themselves out. And that is the ultimate goal of why I started working as a consultant in the first place. All right. I often wonder if we purposefully, and, and when I say we, I'm talking about our consultants and other people in mm-hmm. the industry. I wonder if we purposefully or maybe inadvertently make this more difficult than it ought to be because it somehow cements our place. You know, if right. people are dependent right. on us constantly to break down this language, then, you know, mm-hmm. that cements our place. But I, right. I like you know, what you're doing, you're demystifying fundraising because it's not rocket science once you get past all the alphabet poop and jargon. Right. Yeah. You know? You're having conversations with people about things that you're passionate about that they also might be passionate about, and you get to spend all day doing that. How fun is this gig? (laughs) I mean, we're just, we're such in a fortunate place, and I think we are so tied up in, what other people are doing and other successful organizations are doing. And we're not taking the time to appreciate what our donors are doing and what our programs are doing and what we're, our impact is making because we're trying to compare uh, and contrast. And, and this, I think that if we can change that mindset about these amazing things we're doing, you should be stoked about mm-hmm. this. And there are people all around who want to give you praise and help you do that. Oh man, we'd be in a sweet position <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. Uh, we've come to the end of our show, and I'd like to thank you again, Patrick. And this is Patrick Kirby, the founder of Do Good Better Consulting. Um, he's been an excellent guest. And before we go, Patrick, is there anything else that you'd like to share um, with our listening audience, especially how can they get in touch with you or, or if there's any other salient point? That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, that, thank you so much again for inviting me. This has been, again, as expected, a blast. Uh, and if anyone <laughs> wanted to get a hold of me, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, dogoodbetterconsulting.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Do Good Better Consulting. I think the, uh, the actual thing is at DGB Consulting. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Facebook or at uh, at Fundraising Dad, and uh, yeah, let's start a conversation, answering some questions. I love nerding out about all things uh, fundraising, so there isn't a question too nerdy that I haven't uh, enjoyed, and it is just yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> okay, and, and then your next book is going to have to be the Ten Commandments, <laughs> the Ten Fact. Commandments of fundraising. <laughs> Yes and yes. 
a little inside joke there. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, my goodness. All righty. Um, thanks again. And I want to thank our listening audience once more for listening to Nonprofit Utopia today. This has been a wonderful discussion. And I thank Patrick Kirby again. And as I said before, Patrick Kirby is the founder of Do Good Better Consulting. So I want to make sure, too, that you know, when you get a chance that you go to iTunes and leave a review, you know, if you really enjoyed the show as much as I have, of course, I can't review our show. Yeah. But I'm from Chicago. I guess I could. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not. You could probably review it twice. <laughs> I can't, early and often. <laughs> but, but I'm not going to do that. I, I'm hoping our listening audience, you know, really learned a lot from today's session and they enjoyed it and they will go to iTunes, and I have instructions for completing such a review. And also I want to remind you guys to be sure and join us next week for yet another lively discussion. We're going to have Mia Hillary, and Mia Hillary is a coach and professional brand ambassador. I think she'll have some very interesting perspectives on how nonprofits can take advantage of, you know, working with various brands. So. Until then, you guys take care, and if you have any questions, feel free to contact Patrick, and I've got his contact information on the episode page in the slideshow. Alrighty, so you guys have a great one. See you next Tuesday. I'm sorry, next Monday. All right, bye-bye. All right, Patrick, thank you.